The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Welcome to another episode of our show. Happy to have you with us. Whether you're joining us live via CincyJungle.com, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, or the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel. Good to see the live listeners. If you're joining us after the fact, that's okay too. Howdy to you all. And a greetings sent your way, John Sheeran. How are you this week? Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff starting to trickle our way in terms of Bengals news, at least. Yeah, it feels like after the combine now uh, we're in we're into March. It was like fifty seven outside in Cincinnati. It does it does feel like spring is around the corner and good times are ahead for Bengals fans? Yeah, we've got a lot on tap here um, this week. We've already kicked we've already kicked the week off with an interview with a former Bengals player and NFL media member Solomon Wilcott. So. If you have not checked out that interview, please do. It was a lot of fun chatting with him. Um, So hopefully you enjoyed that, getting his insight on the team and him sharing a little bit of a fun story from his time with the Bengals. So uh, that was fun talking with him. We'll try, depending on the length of this show, (laughs) we'll try to tack that on to the audio of with this entire episode. Um, Unless it gets too long, then we'll keep them separated. But... Uh, regardless, enjoy the interview, and we're going to get to a lot tonight, including combine winners, losers, and how some of those performances affect the Bengals' draft plans. We've also got a soundbite of the week centering around the Bengals' free agency strategy, and we will go for our second mock draft, second go-around for Bengals' mock draft, with a little bit of a twist this time. And obviously gauging with using the combine performances into what we think the Bengals may do. So we're not doing a ton of those this offseason. We're really only going to probably do a small handful, but this is version 2.0 coming up at the end of the show. John, let's let's dive into it. You posted something on CincyJungle.com that was a combine winners and losers post. It was very in-depth and showcased and highlighted a lot of players on there there i mean we could look in a number of different directions in terms of positions and in terms of you know which guys did what but i think there is a small handful of 
position groups that we can look at where that seem to be intriguing uh, to me right off the bat that that really sprang off the screen and times and workouts and all that I guess to be expected the wide receiver group right and the the highlight of that group is Denzel Mims who had a fantastic senior bowl week down in Alabama uh, everyone was really surprised at how well he separated down there because he ran a quote-unquote limited round tree at Baylor. So just his ex- explosion athleticism on display running that full route tree was evident enough. Then he went to the combine and ran a sub 4-4-40, had like a six-point, a sub 6-7-3 cone, and totally you know, dominated in the explosion drills as well. So in terms of an overall athletic profile, he performed as bad as well as any other receiver there. And you have to think, like, coming into the combine, he was like a day-two prospect. And now it's highly possible that he goes in the top 30 of this draft and the Bengals may not have a chance to draft him with that second round pick, but other receivers, uh, Chase Claypool, the guy from Notre Dame who weighed in at like 238. Some people thought he was going to convert to a tight end. And after the tight ends ran an extreme, you know, collectively extremely slow times, Claypool came out like a 4-4-2. So I don't know where he's going to get drafted based off of that because there's still some raw tape to him, but his athletic profile is outstanding as well. Justin Jefferson, another guy is surprised, you know, so a guy that, you know, many claim to be a first round player, but, had a little bit of questions of, of his athleticism as well. He ran a four four three at solid at his solid size as well. So there's no chance that he's going to make it to the Bengals pick in the second round. A lot of explosion and a lot of speed coming out of this wide receiver class as well, and that bodes well for the Bengals who apparently are targeting you know a wide receiver with their second or third round pick. So there's going to be a lot of guys that end up falling into that range because of how athletic and overall talented this group is. Yeah, two guys that uh, I was really interested in, and we've talked about them on this show, Michael Pittman Jr. and LaVisca Chenault, kind of two different stories for those guys in the wide uh, wide receiver position group. Pittman ran well. I mean, 6'4", 224, I think, was what he measured in at, 223, something to that effect. Um, Auden Tate-esque in terms of his size, but he runs a 4, what do you run, a 4'5'1", 4'5'2"? Um, so that's pretty good for that size. When you have Auden Tate on the, on the roster, who was in, I think the four sevens when he ran, uh, the 40. So quite a big difference there. LaVisca Chenault, I guess he had some injury stuff that he claimed he was dealing with and and ran a little slower. I think he was also in the four fives, obviously quite a bit smaller than Michael Pittman Jr. But that was a little disappointing, but John, you you said his name, this this Claypool kid. You know, we talked about Pittman. We talked about Chenault. We've talked about Jefferson and Mims and uh, Rager and all these other guys, you know, this group. And somehow this Claypool kid kind of fell through the cracks a little bit in terms of discussion pieces. And he just absolutely blew up the combine. You said you think that now propels him in the top 65? Is that what you said? 100, top 100 or... I, I think I wrote top 50, and honestly, that's just me looking at that athletic profile thing. That's extremely rare. Like, it's not it's not exactly at the Calvin Johnson level, but 240 pounds at, at you know, 4.42, that's very reminiscent of what Vernon Davis did at, at tight end. And it, it was especially just mind-boggling because, you know, you had guys like, you know, Adam Trotman and another top tight end. It's not running really well, and you're thinking this tight end class is not looking so good. And you're thinking about Claypool, about maybe he's making that conversion but then he just kind of blew away with that speed and explosion. And that's like, it, it's it's reminiscent of what Miles Boykin did last year. Another Notre mm-hmm. Dame guy who ended up going mm-hmm. to, to, to the Ravens. He also ran like, I think a low 4-4 at around 220, 230 pounds. So they, they must be feeding him right in South Bend and Notre Dame. So like Clay, Claypool is definitely an intriguing option. Again, I, there's going to be some subjective, um, you know, 
arguments about what is what his tape is right now, but like those athletes don't last long in the draft. And if the Bengals have a plan for a guy like that, I I would definitely not be too opposed to it. Yeah, and it was kind of DK Metcalf esque in terms of numbers and his, to his size and all of that. So. You know, Metcalf fell to some people thought he'd be a first round pick, but he fell to the middle of the second round. So maybe this is where Claypool goes again, a little bit of a project guy, but size, you know, height, weight, speed. Right. And this is mm-hmm. we said this last week going into the, the combine. The, these are the guys that the combine is built for. You know, maybe you, it causes teams to go back and look at the film on these guys and say, OK, what did we miss here? You know, why? Why is the the public perception or the current projection to be a probably a day three ish guy, maybe late round three. And now all of a sudden, you know, he could be in the discussion in round two. So uh, that was one guy of that deep position group that I felt really helped himself, especially just because there were so many players that are worthy of a high pick. And uh, you know, you could go deep into this draft getting a, a solid wide receiver. I will say the other position group, John, that uh, and I think you touched on it in your in your post, interior defensive line. There are some very very quick and agile guys in that in this group, and and we're not talking guys that are you know the Ed Oliver size. We're talking guys that are three oh seven, you know, mm-hmm. three hundred ten pounds that are running sub five second forties. Uh, now, granted, the the forty is not the end all be all, especially for guys that size, but. When you're running that, that definitely opens some eyes for teams that potentially need, like the Bengals, kind of a quiet need is interior defensive line. Exactly. And I, I think, yeah, seeing Khalil Davis, the guy from Nebraska, run a, a 4 yeah. 8 at 308, Navelle Gallimore, uh, there were rumors about him running like a 4 6. So his 4 7 9 time, I guess, is quote unquote disappointing, but he did that at 304. So. And, and some of these guys didn't do too great in the change of direction in the explosion drills, but even still, like that's that's rare speed. Like people don't think of like people don't remember Geno Atkins's combine that that well. He measured in at around two hundred ninety pounds at six one. He ran like a low four seven, which it was three years before Aaron Donald, and, and it should have been in this realm of like alien esque type performances. And he should not have lasted to the fourth round. But that speed at that size is definitely dangerous and rare. And you know, it, it's it's almost a testament to me, like. Because the edge group in this in this year's class was not very impressive, I guess, the, at, at testing. Because Chase Young didn't test. Uh, Calavion Chasen, the guy from LSU, also didn't yeah. test. They, they're like the consensus top two of that position. And ev- everyone else who's in this like late round one, day two conversation didn't really blow anybody away. They didn't really do. They didn't really test that fast. And it's it's a good uh, counter and a good kind of mirror image to kind of what we thought the NFL was transitioning to because we're seeing so many more athletic pass rushers and edge rushers while the offensive line play in, in a sense is, is depreciating because of how talented these edge rushers guys yeah. edge rushers are getting. But as, as we saw this year, it was the edge rushers who disappointed the combine and the offensive tackles who kind of blew it away. And we kind of expected guys like Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wells to test well. And then I'll, you know, we, we, we had inklings of, of, of uh, Beckton, yeah, Mackay, Mackay Beckton, yeah, Mackay Beckton running fast, but a five one at three sixty four, man, silly, that's, silly. It's, it's, it's unheard. It's like that's Orlando Brown's size, but he ran it in like like half a second faster. And, and there was also Andrew Thomas who had a, a very good combine as well. So 
those four tackles are now leaving the top 12 at this point. They all test like very good athletes. And there are also some day two guys. Ezra Cleveland, the guy from Boise mm-hmm. State, I think he had the shortest three cone and short shuttle there. So he's probably a lock for the top 50. Jack Driscoll, the tackle slash guard from Auburn, I think he tested well in the explosion drills. So great testing from these offensive tackles. Not very good testing from these edge rushers, specifically AJ Appendisa from uh, Iowa, who ran like yeah. a 50440. And like but his game isn't built on speed, but it's so hard to project. A edge rusher that slow, blasting long the NFL, unless he makes this transition fully to the inside. So definitely interesting to see the edge rushers not blow anybody away, and how these offensive tackles are, you know, dominated dominated this combine. And it's kind of a reverse engineering of where the NFL is right now, and it's honestly a good sign for offensive line play going forward. Yeah, Epinesa, I you know I, I've watched a little tape on him, particularly the bowl game against USC when he had a monster game. Um, and against Austin Jackson, one of the one of the better tackles in this draft, he had a monster game against him. Um, you know, Epinesa, I kind of viewed him as maybe potentially a ceiling as a Justin Smith light. Um, you know, he's he's strong, he's big, he's kind of the the consistent motor guy, not necessarily the the speedy edge rusher, a guy you can move in inside because of his strength and size, but uh, I was a little disappointed with him as well. Um, a guy that was probably projected in the middle of the first round may, may have dipped a little bit. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And then, John, you know, some people are – a lot of people, Shelton Stowers and, uh, you know, many others in the live chats uh, talking about offensive line, but also linebacker. And a couple of guys really stood out in that group, especially in the positive. Uh, Kenneth Murray just – I mean – the the concern is still a little bit of some tape inconsistencies matching up with the athleticism. And I think people thought he would come into the combine and really prove that athleticism. Maybe not to the point that he did though. I mean, what, what was he a four uh, sub four, five or right, right around a four, five. Um, he was a four, five, two. Yeah. Six, two, two, 41. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just silly. And uh, you know, there are others in there uh, that 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 perform pretty well. I know you've got the breakdown on that. Yeah, um, this linebacker class is fast, and that's exactly what the Bengals need, and exactly what they're looking for. Along with Murray, who ran not only four five two, but thirty uh, eight inch vertical or thirty inch vertical, one hundred twenty nine inch on the broad jump. Obviously, Isaiah Simmons is an alien. He's an extraterrestrial. He's not from this planet. Six four two thirty eight. Four oh, three, yeah, nine, yeah. 40, 39 inch vertical, one hundred thirty two, one hundred thirty two inch broad jump. He's not lasting out of the top like six or seven picks at this point. A guy that surprised me was Malik Harrison, the guy from Ohio State. Yeah. He was at 6'3", 247. There were some questions about you know his movement ability in space and could he last on, on the field on all three downs. A 6'8", 3340 cone and a 4'6", at his size is not bad That's at good. all. It's actually, it's actually above average, and it, it bodes yeah. well for obviously his training into this. But you know it kind of made some people go back to the tape and, and you know wonder if – He's better in space than many people realize, and he's got size. He's got length to make plays and coverage, and I think those times and the, the I, yeah, I do think that those times and those testing numbers bode well for that in, in those regards. And a guy we talked about a while back, like I think the first time we did uh, prospect watch back in like the fall, I brought up Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker. Yeah, from yeah. State. He came in at 243 pounds, which is a lot. I think a lot more than when he played at Mississippi State. Four four six forty, 136 inch broad jump. Um, and I think a really good vertical as well. He's an asset in space and he explodes on, on guys in coverage. And 
Again, it's all going to come down to how he interviews and what teams think about his off-field stuff, but he definitely tested his way into the day two conversation. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see uh, Akeem Ga- Gaither Davis uh, test because he had a fractured foot. He's going to get surgery for that. But I do believe that the Bengals met with him at the combine. Yep. Uh, he measured in, I think, two hundred and sub-230 pounds. So it'll be interesting to see if they want him to bulk up a little bit, but he would have also done very, very well in this testing. And one of the Bengals fans' favorites, Patrick Queen, Ran like a four or five forty. He's going to be in the first round for sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, Gaither, you know, he, uh, that's going to be an interesting situation there with the, the surgery and everything. Um, definitely not something that is music to Bengals fans ears if they are targeting that player because they've already drafted so many first round guys that come in as quote unquote damaged goods, uh, or they get damaged right when they get there. So, you don't really want necessarily a high pick coming in injured again, especially, you know, I think you said it was a foot issue. So, um, you know, you don't really want that a guy that relies on running around the field quite a bit, you know, you don't really want that right away when you draft him, but still an intriguing player an intriguing group there. The good news is there is at some of the major positions, obviously cornerback, a lot of guys showed up there that put that performed very well at the combine. That's another position that may be, you know, that may be on the Bengals' radar higher than we think, maybe second round, maybe third round. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, kind of depends on what happens at a, with a couple of different guys here in a couple of weeks. But, you know, that that position looks very deep, one of the deepest in this year's class as well. So the good news is the major position groups can, that the Bengals seem to need continue to show that they've got a lot of depth in this year's class. Quarterback, wide receiver, defensive tackle – linebacker, cornerback, those are some of the bigger areas um, that the Bengals need to address this year, and and they all seem to be, um, you know, seem to be pretty stacked. What what about negatives? I You know, I know Jared Pinckney was one that disappointed a lot of people mm-hmm. in the tight end out of Vanderbilt. You know, he was kind of a guy that a lot of people thought may could have been a high day three and then sneak into day two with a good workout. He really disappointed. Uh, you know, you mentioned Epinesa. Any others that kind of spring to mind? that uh, disappointed you or thought you you thought they would have tested better based on maybe what you saw at the senior bowl, et cetera. Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is Cameron Dantzler. He's the cornerback out of Mississippi mm-hmm. state. I think it was pro football focus his fourth rank corner. He was projected in, in that second, maybe even late first range, but he, everyone knew he was going to come in and, and measure in, a, in, the, in, in on the lighter side. He measured in at six, 288 pounds. You're in a four, six, four forty. And I don't know if he, he slipped or if he injured something, but that, that 40 time is worrisome. Like there's not a lot of cornerbacks who can win the way he does at, at that slow of speed. Like, like there are some off ball corners, you know, like Richard Sherman's a good example, but like Richard Sherman is, is an outlier. He's, he's does well in, in, in the scheme that he, he plays in. He's going to be a hall of famer. Like not everyone, not every cornerback can win it with, with that little straight line speed. So that's worrisome for projecting him long-term and a couple offensive tackles that, that the Bengals could have been targeting later in the draft, Trey Adams and Calvin Throckmorton. Yeah. Did not well. I think yeah. Adams, Five six forty, uh, one hundred twenty four and a half inch vertical. Throck Throckmorton five five seven forty. Like I, I, he had bad jumps as well. Those were guys that you know for whatever reason for certain 
individual reasons of their own weren't going to be taken early anyways. But now it's a question if they're even going to be drafted in the top five or six rounds. So they're, they're not legitimate options to fill the needs on the offensive line for the Bengals. Yeah, we knew Throck Morton had some athletic deficiencies. It was more, uh, you know, if you remember, he was in, we took him with the Bengals' final seventh-round pick in, their, in, in our first mock draft on this show, and we did that because they met with him, they gushed about him publicly, and he's, a, he's got a lot of positional versatility at the next level. So... But we knew the athletic deficiencies there. The numbers wouldn't test well with Rock Morton. I think we kind of thought that Adams is a little more surprising. Um, you know, he did have the injury issue that caused him to sit out the Senior Bowl, uh, which was a little disappointing. We thought that he would come in there and maybe show some things there. You know, there's there was hey, he's in the third round. Hey, he's in the fourth round. Like you said, now we may be looking at towards the end of the draft. But he could be one of those guys like an Orlando Brown different reason but just a big guy doesn't test well but more kind of as a tackle engulfs because of his size he more engulfs rushers rather than you know out muscles them or out is is an uh, you know an elite athlete he more just kind of uses his size and knows how to use his size effectively and maybe that's what he does at the next level as opposed to test well but very good breakdown by you john on cincyjungle.com breaking down all the winners and losers in terms of uh your in your eyes for each position group we kind of decided to focus on what the Bengals were uh the position groups the Bengals were going to be looking at there so that's where we went with that this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We thank you for joining us live, or we also thank you if you're downloading the program after the fact. We did have an interview with Solomon Wilcox earlier this week, former Bengals defensive back and NFL media member. He came to us via Pro Football Focus. He's doing some work with them now, which, John, that's like our third guest uh, <laughs> recently from Pro Football Focus or courtesy of Pro Football Focus. We had him. We had Austin Gale that you interviewed, and then we had uh, Evan McPhillips, the local kind of guy that covers the Cincinnati Bengals for Pro Football Focus, all of which were great interviews. You can you can catch all of those, especially the most recent one with Solomon Wilcox on our channels, whether it's through the number of audio channels that we provide the show through, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can get the stuff on our YouTube channel as well. All of it's on cincyjungle.com, as well as other pieces of news, notes, opinions, analysis, all that good stuff. It's time, John. We've been doing this for the past couple of weeks now. It's time for a soundbite of the week. And as we get to this, uh, kind of to, to preface this, obviously, the Bengals are and the rest of the NFL are just a couple of weeks away from the onset of NFL free agency. The 18th is when kind of teams can officially sign guys off of the open market, make trades, all that kind of stuff. The couple days prior to that is when teams can kind of openly negotiate with and set potential contracts in place. So, you know, there's this stigma and I'm, I'm kind of known, uh, especially on Twitter, I'm kind of known as being the guy who is critical of the Bengals uh, because of their inactivity in free agency and their their very quiet nature through the first few days of free agency. Slowly over the past, I don't know, John, what do you think, two, three weeks maybe? Um, there's been some news saying that that may be different, right? I mean – I don't, know, I, don't know why, I don't know why you're like the like the exclusive title holder of of, of that 
type of distinction, but yeah, that's true. I don't know why I am either, but so over, <laughs> over the past couple of weeks and really kind of leading up to the past calendar week from sound bites at the combine and be, and afterward, there's been a lot of talk of the Bengals maybe being a little more active than we think. So I am going to share uh, a soundbite with you from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Many of you have already seen or heard this, but I think it uh, kind of bears repeating if you need it. And then we are going to share some thoughts of our own based on the soundbite of the week. So without further ado, here is Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. It's really the opposite of what the narrative for the Bengals has been. And first of all, I would expect them to be involved in free agency. I'm not sure they're going to go and break the bank for the top, top guy, maybe. But I would expect them to be heavily involved in the upper and middle class of free agents. they got a lot of holes in the roster. They'd like to get better. There are certainly some players who would help that team really at, at all levels. I would expect the Bengals to be heavily involved. And as far as actually what they've spent you know, I know it's kind of been out there that nobody spends less than the Bengals. I was curious about the actual, you know, facts of this whole thing. So I looked it up. Here's what they are. Since 2011, the Bengals are right in the middle, 15th in spending. Since 2013, they're 12th. So top half of the league in spending. And in 2016, they were actually 6th. So they may not go out and spend on other people's free agents. But if you were a young player, a good player on their own team, including Carson Palmer when they made him the highest paid quarterback, putting Andy Dalton they gave a big contract to. If you're a good player of their own, they will pay you part of the things that they're trying to talk to Joe Burrow about and uh, part of the frustration they have with the national narrative. So that is Ian Rappaport saying a couple of different things, mostly of the positive. Some is in the defense of the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of what they spend, how they spend, etc. The other is that they will be active in free agency. So I, I want to give a couple of my thoughts first, John, just as I kind of tried to digest this. I, I said this on Twitter when I re replayed this video or retweeted this video is I, I will believe I, I kind of am resigned to the stance of I'll believe it when I see it. Unfortunately, this team has just kind of burned all of us a little too much on the free agency front in terms of its inactivity. The other piece is I, I do think they may, I mean, it's hard to not be more active than they've been <laughs> really. Uh, if you want to kind of tongue in cheek, the thing, I mean, it's hard for them not to be more active than they've been over the past couple of off seasons. The other facet to it is what do they consider free agency is free agency to them player trades because that's part that happens during the free agency period. That's not picking up necessarily an outside player. Um, you know, maybe you trade away your player for a draft pick. That's not adding someone from outside free agency per se. Um, I, I don't know if they consider that. I don't know if they consider just moving on from some of these bad contracts, uh, a form of free agency. And I don't know who they consider mid to high tier, as Ian Rappaport put it, mid to high tier uh, free agency prospects. I mean, we we think we have some in mind, and we've talked about a couple on here, Brandon Scherf, Joe Tooney, all kinds of different different players. 
you know, I, I don't know that they will go for those upper, upper, upper crust type of guys, but I do think that maybe the quality level of player will be higher than we've seen in previous years. I want to, before I bounce it back to you, John, for those who do not know, the Bengals, and this is what makes me a little cynical, John, the Cincinnati Bengals did recently bring in Chris, uh, veteran defensive end Chris Smith for a visit, okay? There's nothing wrong with Chris Smith, the, the player. He could be a good rotational edge rusher and or provide depth. And by the way, the Bengals need to pressure the quarterback at a higher rate this year. So bringing in a guy like that, especially if it's on an affordable deal, fine. I have nothing wrong with with Chris Smith, the player. I, I think he could contribute to a team. I do know he's experienced some personal tragedies, so I would like to see him kind of land on his feet and do well and and kind of be a nice redemption story. So if he does land in Cincinnati, good for him. I hope he does well. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing I have a problem with, John, and that contradicts what Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said, and granted it's just one visit here and maybe I'm overreacting, but a guy that's been on their team before, a guy who – was released out of his contract, meaning if they sign him, he's not going to count against that compensatory pick formula going forward. It's kind of a little bit of the same blueprint, a guy that's not a household name, that's not going to move the needle so much. He could help. There's no doubt about that. He could help. And, And what's good about him is he's a different profile of rusher from some of the big guys that they have on that team. But I, I, I kind of look at that, as their first kind of free agency rumor. And I, is it, is it that different? I don't, I don't know. That's why I love doing this. This is what I love about doing the show live because we did awful jobs of prep preparing for this. Cause Christmas. Did he, did he just sign? I, I see that. He, yeah, he, 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 he signed a, He signed an hour early before we started. Okay. We have, wow. There you go. But, but, but the, the point still remains. Okay. The point right. still remains, um, you know, and, and, I, I that just came across the wire just shortly before we took the air. So excuse us, excuse me. Right. But the the issue is, hey, we were busy prepping for the show, and exactly. we just we we glossed over that minor detail. But no, the point still kind of remains that look the the profile of the player remains pretty similar to what they've done in the past. So that's why I find this disconnect with what Ian Rappaport is saying. And I agree to that to a certain extent. They did this last year with Andre Smith because it was like, you know, it's the first offseason without Marvin Lewis and that whole stigma. And you're thinking it's going to be different under Zach Taylor. And of course, they bring back, they bring back Andre Smith for like the third offseason they're on. You're thinking, okay, nothing really has changed. Um, that was like in the summer when it wasn't truly like the free agency period and they needed a body at offensive line. So they just went to the guy that they knew because they have two scouts in their scouting department. They put so much reliance on their coaches. Yeah. And you know, the, the few front office player personnel people that they have. So it, it's natural for, you know, a, the, a scouting department, a player personnel department that's as so small as them to, you know, rely on some of these familiar faces. And with Chris Smith, you know, he wasn't a an actual, like, he, he's, he, he could sign, and he did sign with the Panthers today because he was, he are, his contract already expired because he was released by the Browns, right. I think, a week before the, the Browns actually played the Bengals last year in December. Yeah. So like, it's not, I do know that I did research that one. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's like, it wasn't like truly free agency. And this is like something that I think we should continue to expect them to do. If they have, if they, you know, 
are in this position where they just need bodies and they, they see a guy that has played with them before, regardless who the coaching staff is, as long as like Tobin and those guys are still here, they're going to still rely on some of this process. So that doesn't bother me that well, especially because Chris Smith doesn't move the needle at all in terms of what the roster plans are. He's just the body that would have competed in camp and they still need to address the edge position. My thing with Rappaport is this. I don't like him. Like I appreciate his um, intent and saying that on national television, on NFL network, but he's still spreading kind of the message that doesn't need to be spread. Yes. The Bengals are in the middle of the pack. I think 16th and total total spending, but he contradicted himself in the middle of talking because he says, the facts say that the Bengals spend about on, on league average or maybe slightly above league average, which is something that Duke Tobin said at the Combine. But then he said they just don't spend money on other people's free agents. So what does that mean? They don't spend anything in terms of real cash, actual guaranteed money. Ben Baby did a study a couple of weeks ago about the Bengals are 60th, 30th in yeah. guaranteed money. That's, that, that is the actual number that NFL teams care about. That's what they calculate in terms of what they can spend in terms of player acquisitions or whatever. They're bottom of the league in actual spending. They're bottom of the league in spending on players that can actually push the needle. They will spend on guys like Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green, and now Joe Mixon in a couple months, but they won't spend on guys that can actually improve the team from outside of the guys that they developed and, and drafted and whatever. That hasn't changed. And the only way that we think it's going to change is if they actually go after some of these mid-tier and, and, you know, one B guys in free agency. And like you said, I have to see it to believe it because, you know, for, for all this talk about being more aggressive, Paul Daniel Jr. just wrote something in The Athletic that I think anybody who has an athletic subscription should definitely read. A lot of nuggets and rumors from the combine. He basically said that, yes, the Bengals are looking to be more aggressive, but, you know, may, maybe they're not going to be – fully all in for guys like Joe Sherbert or, or, or Greg Glasgow, because they're a little bit too timid. They're a little, just a little bit too reserved about going outside of their comfort zone and, and getting these guys on the, on these deals that would put them in, in like top five or top 10 in terms of positional spending in terms of where those contracts land. So it, it's a lot of, I, again, I appreciate what Rappaport said, but it's still the, it's still the wrong message of what needed to be transpired because yeah. the Bengals are still, and what actually matters relatively cheap, and that's not going to change until these they actually do the things that they say they're going to do. To me, it was it was almost like putting the hand in in you know Duke Tobin's hand in in Ian Rappaport's mouth and kind of moving you know spitting out some of those statistics. Because if you remember in another interview, Duke Tobin uh, put out um, not the one that you sat down with him with John, but the one where uh, I think it was from the Combine and maybe it was through Bengals.com that relayed the message. But basically, you know, we're 12th in winning and we're, you know, and it's, you know, we're top 10 in this and it it sounds good. And it's, but like you said, it's not the right message. The right message should be, we want to be the best. We want to be top. We want to do that, you know, and not, we're top third. We're top half. I to me, that's the, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. And I, I I know it shatters perceptions and these narratives that are out there that are being floated out there with the Joe Burrow stuff. But it's just kind of like, you know, the only way you're really going to shatter these, these notions is really kind of doing completely – operating in a completely different way than you've been operating in the past however many years. And in, in that way – Free, you know, free agency is one of those ways in which you could do that in outside free agency. But yes, the Bengals spend money in free agency, but it is very more often than not on their own guys, as you mentioned. And 
you know, it's the guaranteed money factor, which is a big draw for outside free agents to get them to come to Cincinnati. That being 30th, that is really eye-opening, John. Yeah, and we got some comments about, oh, well, they don't fully guarantee the contracts, but they honor the contracts. That means nothing to the players. It means nothing to the agents. The whole reason right now why the CBA is in such a backlog and why it's not being going is because players in the Players Association is not very happy about getting locked into an 11-year CBA. They don't. Some players don't like to be locked into three- to five-year contracts. They want to get out of some contracts as soon as possible to get more higher-paying contracts. They want guaranteed money. That is how you attract players. If you continue to, to, to spin this narrative about, oh, well, we're not going to offer you you know more than 40 or 50% guaranteed money, but we're going to honor the contract, ask Preston Brown. He had like $6 million of his $21 million guaranteed last year, and he was released after week eight. So not that's not that's not a guarantee. Like that's that's a guarantee verbally, but it's not a guarantee in paper. That's not that money coming into your pocket. The Bengals are just not going to be the organization that gives a player $25, 30000000 dollars up front because they're just not financially equipped to do that. And even if they were, they just don't have the balls to do so because they're last in, in generating revenue from you know things outside of just television rights and contracts and whatever. Like th- that's just not who they are. And that whole you know, message that they send that kind of sounds family friendly. It's just not going to do them any good when it actually matters. Yeah. When we spoke with Solomon Wilcox, he did bring up some names that, you know, PFF analytic wise seem to make sense for the Bengals. Obviously, you know, some of the numbers need to make sense. And he, he mentioned, you know, the Corey Littleton, the Joe Schoberts, those sort of things, the numbers need to make sense and the Bengals need to operate in a different way than they normally have been. But interesting soundbite of the week, from Ian Rappaport. I think it's filled with truths and half-truths and also a bit of cautious optimism for Bengals fans as the next couple of weeks seem to be very interesting for what the team's going to do going forward. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Thanks so much for joining us live. Or if you're joining the program after the fact, downloading it on a number of different audio platforms, or our YouTube channel. We thank you for that. That's cool. Try and join us if you can live. You can uh, join us for like when we screw up about knowing if Chris, if Chris Smith signed somewhere or not. You know, those sort of things. You can you can catch us live in our own embarrassments. No, just kidding. But please try and join us live. We love the fan interaction. We love taking, we try and take some comments and questions as we can from the Facebook chats. But you also get to interact with other Bengals fans in the Cincy Jungle Facebook chat, our own YouTube channel chat. Um, So yeah, join us if you can. Subscribe to our channels and get notified when we go live and when new material is up on all of those channels. We appreciate the support and we've seen the show grow really over the past uh, handful of months and really, you know, it just, it keeps growing and we're, we're pretty psyched about that. So we've got some other announcements to make at the end of the show, which we think you'll be pretty psyched about too, but we'll get to that a little bit because John is going to kick off our second edition of the orange and black insider mock draft. Yeah. So we're going to use fan speak again. Um, I did, I didn't think I was going to do this in the beginning of the off season, but I did meet up with the creator of, of, of Fanspeak. His name is Steve. So I caught up with him. And I felt, you know what? I'll throw a couple bucks his way. I, I bought premium for Fanspeak. And with premium, you can utilize the draft trade feature. And I figured, you know, 
it, it's kind of weird because the algorithm in terms of what how they do trades and what trades come up is a little bit random and not all the time realistic. So I, th- I figured manip- manipulating around with the trade uh, generator, what if in the next handful of weeks, the Bengals did trade quarterback Andy Dalton to a team that is interested in him, to a team that's probably going to have a whole quarterback, to a team that has a mid-third-round pick. The team I'm referring to is the New England, New England Patriots. So under this scenario, the Bengals traded away Andy Dalton to the Patriots for their first third-round pick, which is 23rd overall in that round, and I think it's like pick number 92 or 93 overall. So in this scenario, we're probably going to do any other trades. We're just going to stick with eight just to keep it as objective as possible. And, yeah, we're going to have that extra third-round pick to play around with. And we're going to utilize what we know about, you know, what we think we know the Bengals plans are in terms of drafting, what we've heard from the combine, specific positions they're going to target early in the draft. We're going to utilize, you know, some of the best player available strategy in regards to that as well. And we're going to think and we're going to utilize what we know about who they've met with, what players kind of fit their overall profile, all the same stuff that we did in Mock Draft 101. So, Let's get started here. Yeah, yeah. Before we do, John, I just kind of want to recap that a little bit. What we kind of what we think we know and what we've heard. Um, we did talk about this a few weeks ago when we did our first pre-combine mock draft. But basically, what we think we know, we think we know who they're taking number one overall. First of all, um, we've heard differing reports, but basically, we think we have at least some form of an idea is what the, what they may do on day two defense and maybe wide receiver now has seemed to enter the discussion. If you're, uh, if you've been reading bangles.com, that seems to be entering the discussion, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, John, but Hobson, Jeff Hobson of bangles.com picked Terrell Lewis, the guy we picked mm. as our second round pick. He picked him after us. So, you know, a little he, watch, he watches the show. He yeah, watches the show. Absolutely. Obviously. Absolutely. I'd love to have him on by the way, but, so, you know, we, you know, we're thinking that after quarterback, you know, there's defense, a couple of different positions there. There is wide receiver, obviously offensive line, linebacker, our needs there. Um, so we've heard a couple of different things as we go forward here. Um, you know, we, we think we've got a picture a little bit of what they like to do. John mentioned as well, they often like to go best player available they don't like to reach consider a reach for a position in certain rounds they'd rather kind of take the better player rather than the positional needs so those are some of the the pieces of the framework in which we will operate all right well i guess i guess we will start over i think we can see mine correct Mm -hmm. okay so well with the first pick the Bengals take Joe Burrow. We may uh, we may just have to erase the little caveat that we attempted to use there. Mackay Becton went very high right there. Henry Ruggs going nineteenth. Yeah, he's a Raider. If he's if he lasts that long, who? Henry Ruggs. That's that's Al oh, Davis yeah. coming out from the grave. <laughs> Chanel okay. goes All right. So the, so the Bengals are on the board here, and unfortunately, running backs are the highest rated. So here we go again. We've got Terrell Lewis. 
-hmm. then this is where it gets interesting right here, John. Um, You got the wide receivers. Denzel Mims performed very well. And I think he's one of the guys that personally, if given that, given that article that I read from Jeff Hobson, I think that the two wide receivers they may be looking at, whether it's in rounds two or three, are Mims and Jefferson. Those are the two guys. I, th- I just that's just my hunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mims obviously had the good workout. Higgins he was kind of up and down, right? Um, and, and same with Rager was just kind of steady. I don't think he was totally outstanding. So, but those three could definitely be in the conversation at number thirty-three overall. The other, I mean, in terms of other guys, there's Antoine Winfield Jr., interesting guy, a guy we mentioned last week. Uh, Trevon Diggs, the cornerback. A.J. Terrell, the cornerback out of, uh, out of Clemson. So those are some of the top guys in terms of positions that make sense. And uh, and here we have Zach Bond as well, the edge rusher from Wisconsin. Um, so I think the picks that make the most sense based on who is gone here, Zach Bond, Terrell Lewis, Denzel Mims are probably the three guys that make the most sense to me. I think I would say Bond or Mims personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know your your thoughts. So I'm based off what we've heard. I think if if they're going to sign any starters in free agency, it's going to be a linebacker and or a cornerback. And a cornerback is something that I think not a lot of people expected, but that was also something that. Dana Jr. reported like Kirkpatrick is essentially out the door. They kind of want to go in a different direction with, with Denard. So they could attack the position early in the draft, but it's it's pretty likely at this point that they're going to sign someone who can potentially start at that position and also linebacker. Like they're not going to have a choice. They're going to sign somebody who can start next to Pratt. So that takes away the immediate need to draft a linebacker here in the case of Bond. But like a receiver is going to get drafted within the first three or four picks. Like that's for sure. And if a guy like Mims is still here with that, with that impressive pedigree, uh, three years of consistent production at Baylor, uh, incredible athleticism, he's proven it in every, in every way, shape and form in in this off season. If Mims is here, I think he's got to be the pick. Okay. I like it. I, I'm tempted. I was tempted to go bond there, but all right. Uh, he, as of right now, is still available. Now he is not. They're definitely going to have some options at linebacker in round three for sure. So I think in round three where they would go, and the pick is coming up here, number 65, probably linebacker, uh, maybe, like you said, corner, um, if they don't get someone there. Uh, could be an edge edge hybrid. So you've got this Josh, Joshua Uchi kid from uh, Michigan. He hasn't really been practicing or performing because he's been injured, right? Um, he mm-hmm. didn't, I think he sat out the combine and that was kind of a guy that I think a lot of people were interested in seeing. So hard to get a good grasp on him. Same with Prince Tega Winogo, uh, the tackle from Auburn. This could be tackle territory. Jeremy Chin tested incredibly well. Yeah, um, uh, you know he's kind of a hybrid safety linebacker. Interesting guy. You've got Malik Harrison there. Uh, did we take Malik Harrison in our first draft? We I, did. I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like we did. Uh, there's your boy Pert. Um, so uh, Hamler's out, and I think uh, even though I love the player, Edwards Hilaire's out. Um, Ayuk's out. 
So I think where you're looking is uh, Uche, uh, Tega Winogo, Chin, or Harrison. I think those are kind of the guys that you may um, – Troy Pride maybe. I think we picked him last time too. Um, Ezra Cleveland, another guy that's available here. Cleveland's definitely not lasting this long in the actual thing, that's for sure. He tested far too well to last the third round. So basically, I think it comes down to, do you want a linebacker-ish guy or a tackle Mm -hmm. uh, in the third round? And I think Tego Winogo was mocked to the Bengals at this specific spot by Dane Brugler today of of the Athletic. Um, I don't know if that was based off of, I'm not sure if if they met with him, but I think based off what we've heard and based off what the Bengals need, it's probably going to be somebody that can compete at right guard, but can also play tackle if needed, because they're only going to have three tackles on the roster going into the draft. They're probably not going to sign anybody in free agency at that position, because unfortunately the market's either too expensive or just not very good enough. So a guy who can have positional versatility is probably going to be targeted with the first offensive lineman that, that they select. So, Cleveland, a guy who can play inside and outside based off of, of his athletic ability and frame, he would make some, some sense to me. I think Pert and Tegelanogo are, are basically tackles only because that's pretty much where they would win the most. But uh, also, I think in, in this specific board, uh, Akeem Davis Gaither is, I think, almost projected as a fourth rounder. And that, that might be accurate because he didn't test and he's on the smaller side. But that's definitely a guy that the Bengals have interest in a linebacker that I think they would like to target because they wouldn't expect him to start and he can, you know, kind of fill out his frame. So I think, uh, yeah, honestly, like, like Harrison again, makes a lot of sense. And if we want to go back in that direction, that's, that's fine with me, but yeah, just like the best available tackle here or yeah, like Davis Gaither would probably be my, my choice. What do you think? So I would, I, I would think about Davis Gaither, just the injury. Um, right. That's that's what just really worries me there. Um, yeah, he's way down here. Damn. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I'd wait on that, I think, just because of the injury may push him down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm uh, I'm kind of tempted to go tackle here. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I'm, yeah, I, I guess let's go, let's go with the kid from Auburn. Okay. Uh, does he? Did you say he has versatility? Uh, I think he's only been a tackle. I, like Cleveland's also only been a tackle, but he might have like the frame that. Do you like Cleveland better than Winogo? I think Cleveland will go ahead of Winogo because he tested remarkably, and I don't think he's going to be available here in the real thing. So if we have the opportunity here, I, 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 that would be fine. But I, right. I do think that if they want to tackle only, then take Winogo is probably the more likely option in that sense. Okay. So, oh <laughs> uh, boy, this is, tough. This, is, this is what the war room is. You're, know, you, you got different opinions coming from all over the place. All right, let's go. Uh, let's go with Cleveland. He tested. All right, well. let's go with yeah. Cleveland. Death to religion says, "I hope y'all are drafting. Yeah. Uh, we are not, unfortunately. I've been wishing that for the past eight years now." Would have never taken Will Clark in the third round or Russell Bodine a round after that. I feel like Barch was the guy we took last time too, right? Or we yeah, we took him in round four. Yeah. He also did not test, but he did announce he had the most disgusting weight-gaining smoothie of all time in college. Did you hear about that? Oh, was that the, was that who that was that yeah. had the, the – Seven eggs, homemade grits, yeah. cottage cheese, Gatorade, 
peanut yeah. butter and bananas. Yeah, yeah I saw that. It's an absolute abomination. So here, I think the Bengals at 97, Gaither is available. Davis mm-hmm. Gaither. I think that makes sense. Um, if you want to look interior defensive linemen, um, you know, I don't know if anyone here kind of blows your your hair back. Davin Hamilton, um, Devon Hamilton from Ohio State, decent player. They are really um, down Jordan Elliott. I think he's going to go a lot earlier than where he's projected here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think – Corner? Think, at, at this, yeah, at this point, like, defense has to be the priority because they went three straight on offense. Let's go with Gaither since they met with him. And yeah. uh, he's available here. I think that makes sense. Maybe a little bit of a reach because of the injury, but uh, um, you know, I, I think in the fourth round, he, he's a he's a good he's, player. There. He's much more talented than the fourth round player, though. Right. So I think it kind of balances out. So so far, we have Joe Burrow at pick number one, pick number thirty-three overall. Denzel Mims, a wide receiver of Baylor, and. At 65, Ezra Cleveland, who tested well, the Boise State offensive tackle, very athletic kid. And then you've got at 97, Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker out of Appalachian State. Very talented kid, athletic kid, but unfortunately dealing with an injury. And uh, you know, he may be he may be a guy they slowly bring along, um, you know, given that injury. Okay, so we're back up here again, pick 129, round five, and for those who uh, were joining us earlier, uh, the, the draft network, the mock draft machine, unfortunately had a, I don't know, a screw loose or whatever. So we had to, instead of doing the initial player trade where we'd factor in a trade uh, with Andy Dalton, unfortunately we've had to make do and, and not do that. But that's okay because that trade actually hasn't taken place yet. So... Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably do one or maybe two more of these mock drafts before the draft itself, and then we can factor in that stuff as it light is likely to be taking place. We just wanted to kind of do throw, throw a little wrench in there, but unfortunately, the draft network threw a, a wrench in its own site and screwed us up. But that's okay. All right, so let's see. Is I think here, John, you may is there corner? Um, you know, here, maybe a Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of down the, the pack a little bit. Uh, you could look at maybe an edge guy, um, maybe a tight end, uh, I, I, interior offensive line. Uh, there's your boy, John Simpson. Uh, <laughs> that is, uh, uh I, I, I feel like we've heard some comments about them wanting to keep uh, Atkins more fresh and keeping more st- a steady rotation. Billings is a free agent right now, but he's in nose tackle anyways. Um, they don't really have a true three technique behind him. And it, even if that's Ryan Glasgow, he's been dealing with injuries for the past couple of years now. So I think keeping a healthy rotation along the, along the interior defensive line in the scheme that they want to run, I think is important. And I think right now you have great value in guys like Jordan Elliott and McTelvin, a, a game who's one of the more underrated interior passers. I think, Pro Football Focus is, is is really high on, on both of these guys in terms of the ways that they win as a pass rusher. So if they're looking for depth and a potential Geno replacement or just a guy to, to help them keep him fresh at three technique, both those guys would be um, prime targets here if they were available. Yeah, I say Elliot. Um, I think that that's just, you know, in terms of 
the the areas they've already hit who's available and this is this seems like it's pretty good value i mean they have them at the 132nd player we're at 129 but like like you said i think i think his value is perceived as higher than that so i would mm-hmm. go interior defensive lineman jordan elliott from missouri if you are good with that yep yeah, go ahead all right so moving on we're moving to the sixth round let's kind of look at uh all of the positions here at least some of the ones up top and just so you're caught up uh joe burrow denzel mims ezra cleveland akeem davis gather jordan elliott Quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, linebacker, and interior defensive line have so far been met in terms of need. And uh, aside from the first pick, uh, this is a a much different looking draft than our first one uh, in terms of players and and whatnot. So they have they have not updated this board. If Michael Pittman's still available, yeah, yeah, I'm a little. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe they didn't. Maybe that's why the site may be down a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I mean, I, I'm tempted just value wise, sixth round. Um, yes. It's kind of like wow. Uh, and we did take him, I think, in the sixth last time too. Mm-hmm. There, so any in here, cornerback, because that's not an area we have touched on or safety maybe a hybrid guy um anyone in here jordan fuller jr reed terrell burgess uh those are safeties neville clark dane jackson josiah scott any of those guys seem to be a better pick than a value in tyler johnson michael pittman devin duvernay a lot of wide receivers still here yeah, I know that none of them are better value than Michael Pittman at this point, but I do know that they were familiar with Dane Jackson down at the Senior Bowl, who actually um, practiced pretty well down there. I'm not 100% sure how he tested it. I know that Terrell Burgess, the safety at Utah, is projected to probably go inside the first four rounds as well. So him going down here would be also would be also great. I think they would like to get their hands on any of those Utah defenders in that secondary. Um, Duvernay, again, is probably not going to escape the fourth or fifth round. Aguim is still here. Jordan Fuller has a lot of fans. As that safety out of Ohio State, I, I think, again, like Pippen's not going to be here, so I don't want to like ignore him for the sake of realism, but I, I feel like it's not the worst idea as well, just to have a better sense of what we would actually be dealing with. I think, yeah, at this point, if they didn't address the cornerback, then they would probably like to go there and... Unfortunately, um, a guy who I think is really on the radar, Kevon Wallace, was taken, I think, after we took Elliott last round. He could be potentially one of the better slot cornerbacks in this, in this draft after being a safety at Clemson. So uh, a guy like Jackson, a guy like Josiah Scott, who apparently really looked up to Darkwest Denard. He went to Michigan State as well. I think either of those guys would, would fit what they would be looking for at the cornerback position. There, There's also the other A.J. Green from Oklahoma oh, yeah. State. I think you profiled him in one of our prospect watches. I don't know if you are tempted there. Um, I think know. I was a little higher on him in that in that evaluation compared to what he actually is. So and What he tested, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you make the call. I, I made the call last, last round, so you make the call, my friend. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jackson just because I've I've seen him in person and Dane, I think in the, Dane? yeah, Dane Jackson. Okay. It's a six round pick. It's not going to matter too much. Okay, so we've got Joe Burrow, 
Denzel Mims, the wide receiver out of Baylor. Ezra Cleveland, the tackle out of Boise State. Akeem Davis-Gaither, the linebacker out of Appalachian State. Jordan Elliott, the interior defensive lineman from Missouri. And Dane Jackson, a cornerback out of Pittsburgh so far. Really hitting a lot of different needs. I guess you could say really the only one that kind of hasn't has been interior offensive line. Um, And as you get late, in the draft here, we're on pick 192, the Bengals' final pick, uh, as they have their class currently comprised. Um, another Clemson kid. Uh, these these kind of none of these guys really. Just just for the sake of kicks and giggles, who who are the best linebackers available? Because they might just end up double dipping in that position. So you've got Francis Bernard out of Utah, Michael Walker out of Fresno State. Davion uh, Taylor in a four five two at the at the combine. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's uh a good name to watch there. Uh they also haven't we haven't taken it an edge. And you've mm-hmm. got a um, couple of names here. Uh those are some guys that People seem to be a little higher on Anthony Jennings and yeah. uh, Michael Divinity uh, out of LSU. I don't know if I, I know, one of those guys. I, I know PFF is really high on, on Gibson from Tulsa. I think they might have him as like a top – I think it's like their 95th-ranked player, and they're obviously based in production. I'm not sure how he tested, but Anthony Jennings was really – had some dominant reps at the senior bowl across from Terrell Lewis. They both were screaming <laughs> off the edge, so – yeah, again, this is the seventh round. The player who's picked here might not make the roster, but they need guys that can round out this position group, and I, either I think would be fine. So I'm tempted to go Jennings. It's not just because I think he is the highest-rated person left on the board, or one of. Oh, they still have Pittman. Oh, How boy. Jesus. Wow, wow. Uh, okay, well, that makes it difficult. Um, I am tempted to go with uh, Jennings. Um, if, if we are going to go edge rusher, because when it comes to this team, they often like to go with the big school guy over the smaller school guy. Um, that, that's just kind of how they profile it. So I guess what I would say is, do you want one of these guys, Tyler Johnson, Michael Pittman, Devin Duvernay, uh, or do you go with the edge rusher, the positional need that we have yet to address? I like – like if Pittman's available in the seventh, he he pulled a Laramie Tunsil. There's a gas mask over his, his right, face. Right, right. He, he leaked into Twitter. So, like, <laughs> I I would go Jennings or, or Taylor, the linebacker from from Colorado, just to kind of round up those two position groups. All right, let's let's go Jennings. Um, man, would have been nice to. Oh, I think he finally got taken. Pittman got taken. Like like what what did he do? Did he like pull a Josh Shaw? Did he jump off of a, a, the roof of a building? Like I don't know, I don't know. So it's, it's those USC guys, man. Up, <laughs> oh, Gandy Golden's still there too. All right, so here we go. Uh, let's do these right here. All right. So number one, overall Bengals select Joe Burrow quarterback out of LSU 33 overall Denzel Mims. They get a guy to help Joe Burrow wide receiver out of Baylor 65 overall Ezra Cleveland offensive tackle out of Boise state 
97 overall. That would be the fourth round. Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker out of Appalachian State. The Bengals met with him at the combine, but he does he is set to have surgery. Uh, I believe it's somewhat minor, kind of in between minor and major surgery. So it's kind of unknown as to what his status for the opening of the season would be, but uh, a very talented guy and a guy that I think the Bengals would, um, they seem to have some interest there. Jordan Elliott, the interior defensive line, probably a guy to be quite honest with you, John, he's out of Missouri to be quite honest with you. He kind of fits that third and fourth round mold that the bang, the Bengals usually like to take a defensive tackle in the third and fourth rounds. At least they, they had done that in years prior with, you know, Pat Sims and Geno Atkins and all kinds of different guys. So he's kind of in that, uh, Andrew Billings, he's kind of in that mold where, you know, he could be in that fourth, fifth round discussion um, if he's still available. Pretty talented kid to get in the fifth round. Dane Jackson, the corner out of Pittsburgh with the sixth round pick and at 192 overall. Anthony Jennings, the edge player out of Alabama, basically the other side their other edge guy, um, not named Terrell Lewis, and uh, you know, a part of that vaunted Alabama defense. So that's 2.0. Uh, so we will have to, as we do others, we'll have to make sure the draft network is up and running. <laughs> You've been harping on the draft network, it's been, it was fan speak that crashed. Oh, it was fan speak. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were, uh, at uh, the draft network. Um, nope. Is so fan speak is still down as we speak. I, I, the last time I checked, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still down. Okay. Well, we can use that one next time. Hopefully they will. I, I we, we will test it before we record. So this well, happen. yeah, it's just, it's unexpected. We have no control over that site. So that's that. <laughs> uh, so that is the six rounds that were seven rounds, excuse me, that we came up with for the Cincinnati Bengals this second time around. Hope you enjoyed it. Despite the website, the, the machine, the mock draft machine, not working for us on one website, we may do, we'll figure it out uh, next time in terms of, you know, maybe the Bengals have more picks by the time we do our next version. If they trade Andy Dalton, they get rid of certain guys who knows what, what can happen in the next couple of weeks. So we will be giving you another one, before the draft, so stay tuned for that. It's gonna be mm. gonna be fun. These are fun, and it's 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 interesting being part of the discussion, John. Where you kind of go, where do you want to go here? Where do you want? I'm sure it's kind of a little bit. I'm sure it's more heated, but it's a little bit. I'm sure how the how the war room goes. But this is exactly why the Bengals are not going out there and saying we're gonna draft Joe Burrow number one because they have to go through this process because they're gonna come up like. They're going to come up with in these scenarios where, not necessarily with Burrow because that, that's just a stone cold lock, but th- this process applies to every pick in the draft. Where it's like if certain players, you know, come off the board when you don't expect it, you need to have contingency plans and you want to follow a general path about what positions you want to target early. But sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, where a lot of your targeted players end up going, you know, a couple picks before you, and you don't have the guts to trade up and and target one of those guys. So you you, you need to be prepared to have these discussions for in a certain time limit, like 
people think it takes so long for these for these teams to draft players when they just see the best players available. But these scenarios get played out time and time again in the in the days and weeks leading up to the draft process. And and sometimes like for the Vikings, uh, you know, a handful of years ago, they couldn't get the pick in time and they had to forfeit it. So like like these these things happen and, and these discussions happen. And I think that's why the Bengals do appreciate the fact that their war room is so you know, le- less populated compared to, you know, other teams like the Browns, for example, where there's not as many voices bouncing back and forth. There's a little bit more cohesion in that sense. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. These, these, these things happen. And this process has to be taken seriously. That's one thing, actually, John. That's a point that we seem to overlook. And we, by we, I mean almost every Bengals fan. I mean, I know we razz them for having such a small scouting department, but I guess in a weird way, some in some fashion that could – in the manner in which you're speaking that could bring about a positive in terms of, you know, a vision and not as many cooks in the kitchen, muddying the, muddying the vision of the team, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's just putting a positive spell on it, but that's our second mock draft. We'll get you another one before the actual draft comes probably a post free agency. Um, and then obviously, you know, maybe in the week or two up to the draft. So we'll go with that. We're going to drop the mic and get out of here. We've gone a little long, and we apologize for that. But we're going to drop the mic and get out of here. Really, for me, the mic drop this week is more announcements and gratitude. Obviously, I'm grateful that Solomon Wilcots joined us this last uh, this week. So hopefully you enjoyed that interview that we sat down with him. Uh, and our, our thanks to PFF for, for bringing, allowing him to kind of come on this show and join us. That was pretty cool. The other thing, we've got a couple of people working behind the scenes helping us get other interviews with former players and those associated with the Cincinnati Bengals. Helping us get the Solomon Wilcots interview is a new associate producer that we've brought on. His name is James Clayton. He has helped us get that, and he is currently working with other representatives of current Bengals players to get them on the show down the road. I don't want to say names and promise and and all of that, but he did mention that he has been in talks with other representatives to get current players on this program. So having James Clayton helping us out in a producer role, getting some of these guests, instead of just hearing us yak for an hour, you know, we want you to hear other people too. So uh, there are some others coming down the pike. We thank him. There's also a listener. He's joining us tonight, Mike Holbrook. He always joins us in the live Facebook chat. Um, I've been in contact with him really over the past, uh, past few weeks. He's uh, linked us in with a few former Cincinnati Bengals players that are set to join us. Reggie Williams, the longtime Cincinnati Bengals linebacker. We're trying to nail down a time for him. He is releasing a book, so he should be coming down the pike. Uh, Adrian Ross, if you remember that name, a linebacker for the team for about six seasons in the late 90s and up to the first year of the Marvin Lewis era. He is tentatively set to join us next week. So uh, that was an introduction that Mike Holbrook, our our listener, gave me and we're working on getting others again i don't want to spoil the names until we get those kind of more dialed in but my thanks to mike and to james clayton for kind of giving us these intros and and getting these these interviews because it's pretty cool we're getting in touch with guys that we think are pretty engaging and you know they're attached to the Bengals. hopefully you enjoy those interviews yep and my mic drop is going to be something that i saw on twitter today um the Bengals' official Twitter account has been 
posting these just posts about you know pl- pictures of Carlos Dunlap and photos of these certain players. They featured Ken Anderson today, and they advertised it with a tweet that said, put Ken in Canton with the um, grunting emoji. And this is like the first time I think the organization has ever in any way, shape, or form officially spoken out about Ken Anderson not being in the Hall of Fame. And a lot of people in their mentions, including me, basically made a jab saying, why are you wanting Ken Anderson in the Hall of Fame when you don't even want him in your ring of honor? And it's almost like, you know, <laughs> sometimes the Bengals try to do these things where they like they like to be, you know, kind of with it or modern in terms of social media or whatever, but they can't sometimes get out of their own way in these things. And it, it, it's true. Like, you know, w- w- why should a team advocate one of its greatest players to be in the Hall of Fame when the only way that you honor them in the stadium is with this metallic banner that goes like over the nacho stand. Like it, it's not, it's not straight up contradictory, but it's just kind of, it's, it's a lack of self-awareness. I mean, it really yeah, is. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder on this, but I mean, I know, I, 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 I just want to say like, you know, this, this is to me, this is just like typical Bengals type of stuff where you put that out there and then you're kind of like, dude, look in the mirror, look in the mirror a little bit, you know? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I liked that they were putting that out there and yes, he is deserving of the hall of fame, but um, it's also kind of like, well, and it, their retort would obviously be, well, he was on our top 50 list and all, all this kind of stuff. Well, that, that, you know, that's great, but make a ring of honor. It's just like, how hard is that? And also um, quick announcement from my end. Um, I've been talking with, uh, ben Baby, who is the ESPN Bengals reporter, about coming onto the show. And with sometime in the next two weeks, we expect him to come on and potentially preview, you know, targets of free agency or the Bengals overall free agency plan. And if not, you know, just to get to know um, Ben as he was just, this was his first year covering the Bengals. Yeah. And he, he's very excited to come on the show. So when that um, becomes a concrete thing, we will, we will announce it again and we'll let you guys know when that is happening. Yeah, Ben Baby, that's a that's a good get, and we're we're psyched to have him on. I know you've been in conversations with him, so uh, that should be that should be an interesting interview once he's on there. Probably, we think in the next week or so. Obviously, he's getting busy, so um, you know we're trying to get you more interviews. We've wanted to do that um, a bit more. We've tried to make that a goal uh, with the with the show this year. So hopefully, we'll get more and more coming to you. And again, our thanks to. Uh, producer James Clayton and uh, listener Mike, Mike Holbrook. That was uh, it's very generous that they're spending their time and resources to help out the program. So, um, you know, we appreciate that. Let's get on out of here, John. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week.